Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we take the pulse of this house price comeback right around the country with the chief economist of REA Group, Nerida Connorsby. And then we see what the founder of Century 21 or C21, Charles Tarvey, is seeing in the market right now. And we pinpoint good value suburbs. And then we learn what good buyers agents can bring to the table to help buyers with Michelle May, who is a buyers agent. But before all that, let's just kick off with Nerida Connorsby on the state of the housing market. Well, the rebound of the Australian property market has surprised many people. Of course, doomsday merchants are probably out there cutting their wrists right now. Uh, and one uh, expert who's been watching the market for some time, Nerida Connorsby from REA Group, um, really has been tipping that the market was going to do a lot better than what the doomsday merchants were predicting. But Nerida, welcome. Thanks. Is it even doing better than you expected? It is. I mean, it's barely fallen if mm. we have a look across yeah. Australia. And in many places, it's actually gone better than it was doing prior to COVID. So yeah. um, it, it is better than mm. I expected. Um, you know, I think fundamentally they're coming into this. We weren't in a financial crisis. We no. were in a productivity crisis. But rapidly, you could see that the job loss was going to be very focused on young people. Mm. And that affected the rental market. Um, but the banks, on the other hand, were still prepared to work with people because they were so well capitalised. So I think, you know, going into it, you know, early on we could see where the problems were and mm. then eventually it just came through that prices weren't going to drop as expected. Yeah. I, I guess in, in many ways, um, I think the last time, not last time, one of the early times we talked was when the banks were talking the possibility of a 30%. Yes. Fall. And, and you, yeah. you and I both doubted that Yeah, one. yeah. Um, but... Interest rates, do you think they're the, the critical factor explaining why the, the market has this failure to fall? It's part of it. Mm. You know, if you have a look at the reasons why, I mean, part of it goes back to the fact that job loss is amongst young people, mm. so hit the rental market. Mm. Um, we've got um, incredible amounts of liquidity in the system. So, mm. you know, that that's helping with the, the supply of, of funding, mm. um, very low interest rates, which also helps. We've got banks who are prepared to work with people. We've got this incredible level of government stimulus, which mm. is which has also helped. Um, household savings rate has gone through the roof. So if you have a look at uh, what's happened to that prior to COVID, it's around six percent of household income. It's now at about twenty percent. So people aren't spending on other things. Mm. Yeah, but there's just a whole lot of factors that have led to this situation. And Kogan yeah, they're doing very uh, well. So somewhere in between money that was being spent probably on services. That's the funny thing is that I, I'm, I always look at retail numbers and say, we, we may well be overrating retail numbers because so many of us were buying services. Like, I, I even used to joke, I, I would go and get my nails done. Like a bloke like me getting nails done, but that was the modern world, you know, I am on TV. If I was just simply a tradesman, I would never do it. But, People get massages, people get people to do their pools. Mm. Once upon a time. Oh, the services component of our spending is probably has probably shrunk a bit because you couldn't do a massage. People are probably home allegedly doing their work but cleaning their own pool. All those sorts of things could probably explain where the saving ratio 
why the surfing range is going, but they're still buying stuff from Harvey Norman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look across a range of factors. You look at apparel, you look at entertainment, mm. travel, you know, all of yeah. those things. People at home the restaurant don't spends need them down. completely down. Yeah. I might come back up now. It's quite the... amazing, isn't it? When you, you, you don't think about the structure of an economy until that structure is mucked around with by a government and saying, no, you can't go there anymore. Yeah, I mean, the June inflation figures were mm. fascinating if you have a look at that as right. to what Tell happened. Things like, um, well, childcare dropped, mm. you know, so suddenly childcare was free for a yeah, time period right. and so that had a big impact on inflation. Um, people weren't driving, so petrol costs came mm. down because yeah. the, and then we had the, the petrol war between mm. Russia and Saudi Arabia. So, you know, that led to a drop in pricing. And so we had this very, I mean, COVID has led to a lot of, you know, great big swings in a, mm. a range of factors and you know retail trade has swung around household savings has swung around so you know interesting from that perspective that we just haven't seen the same with with house prices are we going to see a bubble like boom next year yeah look it, it's it's a worry i mean already we're starting to see a lot of pressure emerging in places like northern new south wales i mean byron has hit a mm. 1.7 million dollar median now we've got what was um, it before Oh, gosh, it would have, I mean, it was hovering around the million dollar mark for Let's a long time. So to I, don't know, I have to have a look back. Oh. But, you know, there's certainly, it's certainly seen a surge mm. of activity. Uh, if we have a look at Sunshine Coast, you've got Sunshine Beach, which is just gone over a $2 million median. So, you know, I think the bubble, you know, they're, they're going to be in these regional areas, which mm. on one mm. hand, great if you own in, in those areas, mm. but can be quite challenging for people if they are facing affordability mm. and local employment yeah. issues. Um, are we going to see a construction boom? That will take a while to happen. So house and land is doing okay off the back of home builder, but uh, mm. off the plan is going to take a little time to recover. Mm. Yeah, because people actually want stuff. Like, so off the plan is like for an investor waiting for it to happen, isn't it? Yeah, see off the plan does rely on the investor market. So mm. if we have a look at what is selling, it's stuff that was developed with an owner-occupier in mind or a first home buyer in mind. Mm. Anything that's trying to target investor market, whether that's offshore or local, is, is right. something quite challenged at the moment. Now, Nera, I've got a whole lot of questions here, but you know I never asked yeah. anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I did too. <laughs> I've got you here and I, I know what my people watching the program want me to ask you is like, let's talk about the, um, the Airbnb effect that we were talking about. All those people who had Airbnb properties in Sydney and Melbourne CBD. What's happening there? Yeah, that's doing okay. You know, tourism is interesting because Australians spend more overseas and overseas tourists spend in Australia. Mm. So if we can capture that spending that we mm. would have spent overseas, then, you know, it does mean better news for the tourism sector. Yeah. Uh, so Airbnb, you know, we, we were tracking uh, the number of um, furnished listings mm. that were coming onto our site yeah. early on in the pandemic. And it was a definite trend that, you know, we could see this surge of furnished listings moving from short term uh, rental to long term. Mm. And, you know, that, that seemed to happen quite rapidly. Uh, we're not really seeing it happen anymore. So I think a lot of them are being converted back to short-term accommodation. And so therefore in New South Wales country, people might be coming to the city, for example, yeah. to, to watch the grand final or something like that. So they use Airbnb? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the city, the CBD vacancies are, are the big issue at the yeah, moment. Yeah, that's why I would be, yeah, because Airbnb in the Blue Mountains is just yeah, sold out because people were on holidays and that's 
go there. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Melbourne, inner Melbourne, so City of Melbourne, the mm. suburbs that comprise the City of Melbourne, we've got around 12,000 vacant apartments there at the yeah. moment. So if we have a look at what's happened from mid-March to now and where the increase in vacant apartments are, mm. it is like 43% of them are in the City of Melbourne. Have we seen auctions of those apartments to get an idea whether there are people willing to buy them? Yeah, we're not seeing a subsequent increase. Or we are seeing an increase in listings, but mm. we've got 12,000 new vacant apartments mm. over that time. New vacant ones? Oh, right. not, sorry, not necessarily. They're probably okay. fairly new. Yeah. So 12,000 vacant apartments over that time period. But in terms of new listings, it's only about 100 up So mm. in, that, in that local area. Mm. So it doesn't look like people are selling out at the moment. Mm. Um, if you are looking for a bargain, you mm. probably could get a you know, fairly decent bargain. Yeah, I I'm, 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 I'm wouldn't be surprised to think that there would be young, young professional couples, for example, who their combined salaries could be quite big in a, a, a you know, Melbourne CBD, who could be thinking to themselves, these apartments that used to be very expensive, you know, to try and buy, would be a lot cheaper now. Yeah, there's certainly a bit of first-home buyer inquiry in those markets. Mm. I mean, actually, Carlton's an interesting one. I've been looking this week at the areas where we've seen big drops in median apartments, mm. and Carl Carlton tops the list nationally. It's, their pricing's down around 22% from really? last year. So and that's really close to the Melbourne city. Yeah, and great location. great location. I mean, they're probably the, the apartment. You know, they're probably focused more on students. Yeah, so they a lot may of not university be, students in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, so they may not be the nicest to live in. If you, unless you like living near students. But, yeah, um, but everyone, everyone's seen the block. You just renovate <laughs> it and get Shane Blaze in and all of a sudden you're living in a fantastic Amazing. house. All right, so that, that's that. Um, the shift, uh, I know Bernard Salt talked about it, you've talked about it. Um, the shift from, you know, uh, the rings around the CBD out to other suburbs or even to nearby country towns to, to the CBD, is this continuing or is it starting to slow down? Look, I, I guess, you know, on one hand we can see search activity mm. and we know that that's accelerated a lot since mm. COVID. Yeah. Um, what's been interesting though, the ABS released data for the June quarter, which yeah. did show net movement out of capital cities into regional areas and the yeah. highest level that they'd ever seen. Yeah. So, you know, we know, well, you know, that backs it up, yeah. shows that the shift is actually happening yeah. from a population perspective. Um, but also pricing, you know, we can see again in terms of median prices that there are parts of Australia at the moment in regional areas that are doing well and partly mining driven. If you go to places like Port Hedland and Caratha, we're seeing, you know, big uplifts off, mm. off the back of all those iron ore exports. Um, Central West New South Wales, you know, Orange is doing really well. Northern Northern New South Wales, South East Queensland, even places, as, um, you know, like Warrnambool, Port um, what else, Mount Gambia? You know, yeah. they're, they're areas that are, they're not within necessarily within commuting distance from mm. a CBD, but are doing quite well at the moment. Yeah, I'm thinking about Central Coast. The Central Coast would be a yeah. place where if someone had to commute five days a week, that could really be annoying. People do it, but it'd be hard. But in the, the, the post-COVID world where you might be able to talk your boss into, say, just seeing you twice a week, and therefore you're working from home three times a week, that would mean that properties on the Central Coast sh could be in greater demand. Are we seeing that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we are. It's amazing how I can work these things out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah. even need the data. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget <laughs> Aria, just ask me. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that is yeah, a, yeah. I mean, so it seems to be logical. I mean, it was happening prior, you know, yeah. if you look at places, like Geelong has been one of the strongest regional performers yeah. for a long time now. So, 
Um, I think what's different now, we, we're continuing to see the Central Coast do well, Wollongong, Geelong, mm. um, but now it's extended beyond that and mm. places that you know, aren't necessarily within commuting distance are doing mm. pretty well. Um, thinking about Central Coast, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, places you've talked about doing really well, when the you-know-what hits the fan, they can really be down for a yeah. long time and they can <laughs> drop quite substantially, can't they? Yeah, and you have to be careful. I mean, I suppose mm. suppose from, you know, the most extreme example would be Caratha and Port Hedland. You yeah, know, you've got yeah. pricing that's going yeah. like this. And so, you know, you're not, if you are buying, you know, now's probably not, not the time. best time. No. But, you know, I, I, think, I think one of the, you know, somewhere like, you know, I always find Gold Coast very interesting because... Yeah. You know, we tend to think of it as a very high density market, but it, it's not really. You know, the majority of homes are on you know, pretty, blocks. yeah, mm. pretty big blocks, mm. and there is a land shortage potentially emerging in that area yeah. that will keep pricing more elevated. Sunshine yeah. Coast, are, you know, the land supply is a little bit better, but mm. you know, these areas, are, you know, coastal, mm. you know, being near the beach, you know, eventually they will become more and more um, congested, and, yeah. and as a result, pricing will increase. And, and twenty years ago. The Gold Coast was very volatile. Do you think the, the change in demographics, the expansion out of Brisbane and all those sorts of things and, and the potential of the Gold Coast is going to make the prices less volatile? I think Gold Coast definitely. And yeah. I, I think the main reason being is that it has become more of a... Um, the, the economy there is not relying on Brisbane. Mm. And so... And they're not even relying on, on tourists from, no. from the state anymore. <laughs> no, they're just relying on themselves. <laughs> so, you know, I think that has really helped the Gold Coast market. I think Sunshine Coast is similar. Um, you know, Northern New South Wales, I, I, you know, I don't think that, that the level of price growth that's been occurring, I don't think, no, it can't continue to be at that rapid rate, no. but there does seem to be some sort of shift that's happened there. And, and as a result, lots of people moving, create their own economic growth. So mm. that, that seems to be the okay, case. Okay, uh, I've asked you all the easy questions, now the hard <laughs> one. What has been, uh, if you need some time, you can think about it. Uh, what has been probably the most surprising aspect of all the stuff you've been watching on that REA website, which effectively is like a social engineering um, <laughs> website because you watch what we're up to and we all go there and we, we scan through um, um, homes and whatever. What, what is the most, as an economist, what's the most surprising thing that's come out of this COVID-19 period? Um. Just trying to think. I mean, I, I suppose that interest in regional Australia was mm. surprising. You know, the level yeah. the level that it took up. You know, mm. I think early on we thought, oh, yeah, people will probably move to the suburbs because mm. they'd want a bigger home, and you know that showed up that we were seeing this you know this shift in in activity. Um, so regional is interesting. Um, also, that interest in very very expensive property. So you know that ten million plus. Um, price category mm. is is so strong. You know, when we have a look at views per listing on those properties, it's it's more than quadrupled since prior to COVID. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's this definite flight to the regions, but there's also this flight to quality. And I think people are, you know, potentially parking cash in these very expensive homes with the view that they will hold value, which. Mm. Um, you know, I guess it's not that surprising, but, it, you know, the level of interest is, is surprising. Yeah, because at the beginning of the coronavirus period, those high-priced uh, homes weren't attractive, attractive. They were actually struggling a bit, weren't they? But as time has gone on, it, it, what do you think is behind it? Is it the fact that we can't travel overseas? We're, we're 
concentrating on something else that makes us feel wealthier or something? Yeah, it could be that. I mean, very low interest rates yeah. is, is yeah. helping. Um, can't travel. Um, but what, what else could be a factor? I mean, I guess, you know, coming back to the, the fact that, that potentially that whole value could be an, an issue. Mm. I mean, it's interesting, actually. Knight Frank released a report on luxury homes globally and what they found was that places like Auckland, Sydney, Mel even Melbourne, Gold Coast, mm. they have been holding value, but go to New York or London, you know, m much of Europe they're not. So there does seem to be a very close yeah. COVID link between yeah, luxury and, and pricing. That's interesting. One final one, you did mention um, how um, Byron Bay, the average price has got to close to $1.7 million. I know a friend of mine from Melbourne who happened to be in Byron, he actually bought a place yeah. in Byron and then sold his place in Melbourne. It was like, he, I'm not going back there was his attitude. Fascinating. Yeah, it is, it is really fascinating. I think a lot of people have started to reevaluate how they want to live their lives. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting looking at that, that ABS data was so fascinating from, from, from population movements mm. that uh, they, we, we've seen the biggest move from Victoria to Queensland since the early 90s mm. over that June quarter. So, yeah. you know, that's fascinating. But then even when we look at search activity, we, we see roughly around 1 million searches out of Victoria into Queensland every month. Mm. It's at around 2.3 million now. So What you call that, the Andrews Exodus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whether it continues, who knows. But, you know, certainly these, these months have been really hard for people mm. in Victoria. I guess potentially then, there could be some good buying in Victoria as people leave and the supply comes on the market. It could be Yeah, some potentially. I mean, I suppose, you know, coming back to Carlton, you know, yeah. that yeah. market obviously hit by foreign students and, mm. and low levels of rental demand. I mean, the pricing is looking very attractive there at the moment. So, mm. um, you know, I think, I don't think you're going to get a bargain in Turak or Malvern, but, mm. you know, I think for, for some apartment markets, I mean, if you are a counter-cyclical buyer, it's probably something worth looking at. That's Nerida Collinsby from REA Group. We're catching up with Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21, to get an idea of how the real estate market is rebounding out of the COVID-19 challenge that started clearly in March, but things have been getting better. And with Victoria opening up their borders on November 23, it should even get even better again. Charles, yeah. good to see you, mate. Thanks, Peter. What's it out, like out there in the yeah, real estate it, market? It's definitely it's already rebounded in Victoria. I was looking at the auction results on, from the weekend just gone. Now, they, admittedly, they've auctioned half of what they did this time last year, mm. but their clearance rates were 73.5%. Know, and that, that's that sounds amazing. like a healthy market. That's isn't it? a very quick bounce back. Mm. And um, I was speaking to a couple of the, the principals of C21 offices in Victoria the other day, and their biggest issue is stock, which uh, seems to be the case around most of the country still. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk, talk to you about that a little bit later because mm. I've got some theories on that. But uh, that, that's a pretty good rebound in terms mm. of auction clearance rates. But I thought Canberra at 89.7% clearance rate on the weekend mm. was astonishing, you know, when you think about it. But no, 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 Adelaide's come in, pipped them at the post at 90.9% oh. clearance rates. Okay. And the numbers are pretty steady. It's not mm. like they, they, they only have a handful this week and, you know, double last week. They've been pretty steady numbers coming through yeah. in terms of well, what you, look, We know interest rates must be the, the, the big push. Is there anything else that's making people look, buy? It, it, yeah, it has, been, it has been a lack of stock. That, mm. That's been a really, really okay. big issue. When you've got interest rates as low as they have been and people 
uh, there's a lot of government support out there and people are being concerned as to what impact that might have when it stops and so on. But with interest rates continuing to drop um, and not seeing any indication of increases for some time to come, mm. you know, people feel very safe mm. and it is incredibly hard to find property to buy. Mm. So you only need uh, two people at an auction bidding against each other to make it work. Yeah. Do, you, do you think, like, given your history, you've been in this game a long time, do you think when you see this kind of lack of stock, we then do see a building boom? Do we see new, product, well, new, new products coming on the market? There, there's the scary part. Um, we, we, we expected more stock. There was a lot of development stock out there mm. when we spoke last year. There was mm. an oversupply in some parts of Australia. Yeah. And, uh, and I think what's happened with COVID and, and Royal Commission into banking, the lending policies have changed significantly. Yeah. And I was trying to do a, a modest development down the south coast mm. of New South Wales a year ago. And the bank at that time just gave me such a, a hard time because of construction and development loans. A lot of the banks don't like to do them. Mm. And uh, only in the last two or three months have they come back with a vengeance and saying, we want you to do them, we want you to yeah, do them, okay. the paperwork's on the way, we'd love you to go ahead. So It's a good it, sign for the economy, isn't it? That it kind is of, sign, when banks are begging to, to lend. Yeah, that, that's, that's a shift in 12 months, and there's yeah. been a lot happening in the last 12 months. Mm. Now, I think some banks are still nervous about it, but um, uh, that particular bank, Commonwealth Bank, uh, have uh, really impressed me with their energy to yeah. want to do things. And the government is actually backing 50% of, of business loans as well, aren't mm. they? So mm. it's, it is a new era, and that's probably, probably explaining it. Let's go around the country, um, hot spots that you're seeing. Are there any that are really standing out that just yeah, well, do unbelievably well? Uh, unbelievably, I, I didn't go across the, the Dutch, go the across Dutch. the ditch to my very, very... Uh, friends in New Zealand, yeah. Auckland market has gone crazy. Mm. Uh, so some of the people there are a little bit frightened it's gone too crazy. You go all the way across the country, across the ditch and across the country to Perth, same thing, same mm. thing. Massive um, hotspots that, well, no, I shouldn't say hotspots, that's mm. the wrong word now, isn't it? <laughs> yes. you, you've led me into that. Yeah, uh, no, that's not a hotspot. We have to give it a new word now, a yeah. new name. But uh, Hot suburbs. Hot yeah. suburbs, hot markets, uh, I guess. Uh, definitely Perth, and uh, as one that we were watching closely, and, and it had to happen, had to happen, because it dropped so badly mm. before. So it had to happen. Charles, do you think a part of it also is the fact that, because we can't go overseas, we can't even go from New South Wales to Queensland. Yeah. People are at home and thinking, well, I'll either renovate this this place or mm. I'll buy a new one. Is that yeah. happening as well? Yeah, that happens, and, and a lot of people who renovate end up keeping their properties because they like them. Yeah. Now, so. Like, it's like that uh, love it or list it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, program, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, but no, not every marketplace that we're talking to around the countryside is a hot market. Yeah. Whether you're in, in Queensland or, or Victoria now, they've had that chance to come out, or Tasmania or New South, all of them are really mm. hot markets. Mm. And some of them are going way beyond what they've ever gone beyond. But again, we'll talk about listing stock in, in, in a moment because yeah. I really want to make a point there. Well, what we'll, we'll, we'll do it now? Well, I, I've noticed that every week there's a shortage of listings and it was like 25% less stock than this time last year. And I think uh, on one of our interviews, we talked about Melbourne being 45.81% mm. lower in stock than this time last year at mm. one stage, uh, just a few months ago, a few weeks ago, in fact. Well, I've watched that progressively change. And this week, uh, every, every week for the last seven or eight weeks, it's gotten better and better. And last week it was plus 0.95% 
of stock more coming in mm. and it reduced the amount of stock to 18.21% less than this time last year. Mm. So that is dropping. And every time that drops, it means if you're a seller, mm. your opportunities are starting to change mm. for the worse yeah. for you. Because uh, right now, you've got a lot of buyers and not a lot of stock. Mm. As that changes and turns around, it's going to be right, so you're, you're, So your, your numbers were not necessarily clear as, um, as mud for, for people who are listening. What you're saying is that the stock Sorry, is starting to... Yeah. Okay. It could be because I'm an economist. I'm <laughs> yeah, not yeah, trained yeah, to, to understand I'm numbers. I'm just a humble <laughs> real but, estate But are you agent. saying that, that the, the, the supply of stock is actually starting to, to increase I'm sorry. slowly? It, it's getting better, yes. Yeah. It, okay. it, it, and therefore, therefore, when you turn up to an auction, yeah. those buyers have alternatives to look at where... Correct. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. Okay. I, I know what I'm, I, I, know, I know money, in my own head what's, yeah. what, what it is. I made a lot of money explaining very intelligent people to normal people out there. That's what I do. Oh, okay. Okay. Good, okay. Good. All right. So, so let me throw another factor in because this is a, a very good market for those who are selling. I, I guess the next test for this real estate market will be uh, next March when JobKeeper comes off and what kind of growth we've got in the economy. Yeah, I think we will, as we're being weaned off JobKeeper, mm. um, which I think is a, a fantastic idea. Mm. Uh, I think people will make adjustments as we move along, Peter, and I don't think that calamity that people have spoken about, because remember... The fiscal cliff, to, they call it, Well, they? yeah, well, uh, thank you. Again, there's another level of education. Mm. That fiscal cliff that we were going to uh, fall off or drop off when mm. we talked about what the banks were saying about mm. property prices just yep. a few months ago yep. hasn't happened. No. So I think that as we go into next year and people adjust more and more, businesses like mine will adjust. Uh, I haven't taken advantage of, of JobKeeper to, to a great degree. Mm. Uh, certainly Century 21 um, hasn't taken JobKeeper, but I know other real estate companies have. And uh, and, and so we, we've just gone along with it. Mm. Uh, we've gone along with payroll tax and we've gone along with all of the things just mm. so that I didn't find myself down the track with a problem mm. with, a, with a big bill and I think that as we wean off those issues we get mm. further down next year I, I think people will have adjusted by then okay. I really do and I think the government may introduce an ev even further uh, government subsidy yeah uh, then they might they may well target specific industries mm. that really are in trouble uh, travel industries and things like that. Until we're flying internationally, they may well need some support. Well, we, I've cancelled flights again this week now with SA, so mm. it's a difficult time for so many, so many okay. people. In, All right, we only should escape without giving us some suburbs that are really coming on the radar screen mm. for either investors or first-home buyers. Yeah. Are there any that you, you'd actually say, these are looking really hot? Yeah, um, I, I, it's very hard to pick because mm. there are so many that are. Uh, but those ones that uh, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage people now to look in the worst suburbs in their area mm. because those property prices still haven't quite caught on right. and uh, they will. They will be lifted by all of the other suburbs. Mm. So if you see an area where people talk negatively about, I'd start looking in those areas mm. uh, because for me... It doesn't uh, last forever. It because doesn't last forever. And, and if you want upside in terms of capital growth. You're not going to get it if you're jumping with everybody else in every, every location. Mm. So for me, pick the areas that are in between good suburbs, pick the areas that people talk about as average suburbs, mm. and I think you'll find that that's where the next hotspots are going yeah. to be. It's, it's hot funny market. you should say that, mate. Um, 
when we were young, we were looking in Darlinghurst and Redfern, <laughs> yeah, because you know, they were the, the, the next cheapest yeah. one from uh, Paddington. But Paddington really hadn't even taken off then. My father-in-law came in. We, are, we got lucky. We, we got a place in Paddington, a little cottage. He walked in, looked at his daughter-in-law and looked at me as I was a dope. He said, sell this as quickly as you can. Because <laughs> it wasn't Bondi Junction. It wasn't Double Bay. It was this next suburb next on. Next suburb yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a good piece of advice. That's Charles Tarby, founder of Century 21. Well, to get another take on what's going on in the property markets around Australia, and in particular, this case, Sydney, I'm talking to Michelle May, who's a buyer's agent at michellemay.com.au. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the world of, of a buyer's agent. <laughs> okay. Well, um, as everyone knows in the real estate industry, all the power really lies with the vendor and, and, and the real estate agent. Um, as a buyer, it is my job to equalise that playing field for the buyers. Um, my aim is to educate buyers, uh, owner-occupiers and investors out there to make better property decisions, pay the right price for the right property and, and walk away from the wrong ones. Yeah. What, what do you think are the standout mistakes that amateurs make? And amateurs are most of us because most, <laughs> most of us don't use buyers' agents and we all think we're, yeah. we all think we're professionals but we're not. <laughs> so so what, what are the big mistakes you think people make? Um, really, it's it's jumping in feed first. So not not doing enough research as, as far as I'm concerned. So I think investors really need to understand the risks involved. So there's two kinds of risks. There's the investment risks of investing in real estate as a whole as opposed to shares, for example. You know, because you're dealing with market volatility, you're you're dealing with a lack of liquidity that share shares don't have. Um, gearing, you know, higher the higher the LVR you know, the more uh, chance the investor could owe money to the banks if, you know, um, if the property is not worth enough anymore down the track. There's a lack of diversity. Obviously, you need a lot more money to invest in a property as opposed to a multitude of shares. And then, of course, there's also the specific risk to the property that you're looking to buy. You know, you're looking at vacancy rates, you're looking at potential tenant damage, you're looking at you know, the location losing its appeal um, due to changes, you know, through infrastructure or whatever the case may be, um, but also cost of major repair. So I think the lack of knowledge from that perspective is, is what, what brings extra risks to investors. Um, so really, I would urge them to, to really think about what it is they're hoping to achieve and how are they going to achieve it. Do you find the people inclined to get your services are uh, principal buyers, people who are going to live in the property, or are investors more likely to want to access your services? It's, it's a combination of both. I think what both buyer pools have in common is, is that they realise that whilst they've been honing their skills as you know, lawyers, doctors, you know, white collar workers or blue collar workers, you know, for many, many years, I've been honing my skills in buying property. And so for over 20 years, that has been my profession. And, and that's what why I am now considered to be, you know, someone who knows their stuff. Uh, and, and we make a real difference in the types of property clients end up buying from what they think they want at the beginning of the journey to the end. So I think that's that's the thing that most of my clients have in common 
um, is that they realize that A, they don't, they don't have that depth of knowledge that we bring to the table. They don't know what they don't know. Um, and so that due diligence and that research is what we bring to the table as, you know, whilst they're working, we're working on that search for them. Okay. What's the Sydney property market like in terms of supply? I keep hearing the supply is still pretty, pretty restricted. Um, mm. and, and as a consequence, what problems does that bring for those people out there wanting to buy property? Look, I think it would be a mistake to, to throw Sydney on the one heap um, because within Sydney there are lots of micro-markets. So, you know, Covelli is not behaving in the same way as perhaps Marigville would be or, you know, down the Shire. So um, then there's a distinction between houses and apartments. Uh, I don't think that there's a chronic lack of shortage per se in the, in the apartment market. Um, having said that, that I do feel that the, the savvy buyers have, have now got a better understanding of what makes a good apartment. So they're sort of moving away from the new and off the plan and realizing that the older, less sexier build perhaps of the red bricks of the 60s, 70s, 80s are perhaps a more sensible investment. So those are actually a little bit scarce on the ground. Um, houses from the markets that I am in, particularly the inner west and the eastern suburbs, they are hard to come by for, for sure. Um, I think that the risk for buyers is, is that if they particularly if they are on a deadline, um, that they are going to compromise in the wrong area. So I think as a buyer's agent, my main duty is always to 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 make sure that the buyers don't focus, you know, the the, the, the focus doesn't veer away from quality. So we there are non-negotiables and then non-negotiables. Now the non-negotiables are the ones that should always remain in place no matter what the market is doing. Um, is, is there a, a resistance to buy apartments nowadays because of the structural problems and the panelling problems? Oh absolutely. I think you know what's been brought to the forefront in the media has certainly had an impact on how people view the new and shiny, you know, never knowingly under cushioned style departments. They're actually understanding that you have to look beyond, you know, the shiny veneer, so to speak. Uh, and and I think that's a good thing. And I personally, as a buyer's agent professionally, I've never bought anything that's less than five years old, unless we have a really good understanding of who the builder is and, and how it's been constructed, because there are various steps between design, um, approval and then the actual finished products and and who is responsible for what that's where it all gets a bit murky so for me I always advise buyers to uh, you know use the the, tool, the the things that are available to you which are most importantly the strata report now in order to understand how good the construction of the build is is, is that strata report is worth its weight in gold because you can see you know are there any issues have they had to take the builder to court? How interested is the strata committee actually in the running of the building? Have they got a plan in place? You know, so that's where it comes in focus that you really need that history of the building to have a good understanding. Yeah. What are the suburbs in Sydney that are surprising you from the point of view that they're actually quite good value? Oh, that's a tricky one. No, no, <laughs> because it is, um, it is, it's funny because by the time it gets reported in the media, actually it's, it's already changed mm -hmm. usually. So we find that neighboring, neighboring neighborhoods, you know, um, can act as sort of a yo-yo effect. So for example, at the moment, you know, 
Clove Valley uh, and that pocket is, is quite overheated. And then you find if you, if you travel just a little bit further south to Maroubra, for example, or even across to the other side to, you know, Rosebury Mascot, those suburbs, whilst a bit further away from the beaches, obviously, they turn out to be really good value. Yeah. Um, because bars get, you know, are priced out the current um, traditional eastern suburb neighbourhoods because there is no stock at the moment. Mm -hmm. The suburbs to the side of very popular ones can be very good value, can't they? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and that's why it's important for buyers not just to, to put in their desired suburb into any searches that you've got on the portals, but just also look wider, further afield, because you might find that, you know, you might get tempted by something that looks, you know, gives you that bit more value for money, a bit more space. Yeah. What's your feeling about 2021? You know, the, the kind of data we're seeing on vaccines in terms of beating the coronavirus, all looking very positive at the moment. Are you suspecting this house price rise that we've seen, you know, over the last few months in particular, is going to heat up across 2021? Look, there, there are several schools of thought. I think at the moment we need to understand that, you know, um, buyers are very confident. You know, it's never been cheaper to borrow. Um, there's a lack of supply, which means that's driving that increase in prices. Now, the vendors to come to the market, it always takes a bit of time. There's usually a, a bit of a lag. Um, I'm hoping and I'm thinking that when I'm talking to real estate agents in the market, they're telling me that, yes, there will be more stock coming on come January, February, um, which means obviously when there's more choice, there's less you know, numbers of buyers per particular property. So that steep in increase that we've seen, and, and it was reported recently, some suburbs are up to 20% median price changes, which is just phenomenal. Um, I think that's that's actually not going to continue at that same level. Um, but as long as there is a lack of stock in particular um, parts of the property market, obviously uh, that demand will still continue because, you know, it's as I said before, um, buyers are in a very good borrowing position at the moment. Okay. Now give us your three best tips for someone going to an auction. Oh, okay. Uh, do your research. So come prepared. You need to have a real understanding of what the property is really worth. Um, you can do that quite easily through the sold sections of those domain and real estate portals. Look at what's sold recently with the same attributes of the property that you're going to look at. And so you really need to assess that carefully and also ask the agent for comparable sales and really be very analytical in analyzing, you know, is it the same size? Does it have the same aspect? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then determine um, what it's worth, truly worth. Um, I always um, ask the agent lots of questions. I think the agent is sort of an underused tool that buyers really don't use enough. Ask him or her, you know, who else are you expecting to be at the auction? Um, because you need to understand who you're competing with. You know, are you competing against a professional like myself? Or are you competing against potentially the bank of mom and dad or empty nesters or other first home buyers? You know, how many people will be there? Um, you know, I always make a joke. I always ask, you know, is the domain coffee cart going to show up? Because if it does, you know, it's going to be a fierce competition. Yeah. Um, so it's it's about that preliminary work that you do. And then you can also talk to your broker or uh, obviously your buyer's agent or your bank to say, hey, I'm going to be bidding on this particular property. 
body your thoughts in terms of value because it's all well and good that they've given you a pre-approval of say 800 but they are still going to individually value the property that you've signed on your dotted line for and that may not be 800 that may, may only be 700 so be aware that whatever you end up paying on the day that you've actually got the funds to pay for it okay. um so yeah it's 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 what we do is all about risk assessment yeah. and just understanding and getting into the vendor's head you know where are they going what are they doing you know how prepared are they going to be on the day to sell it seems to me, i think that's more than three tips there's, actually there's, there's <laughs> more than three. but it seems a myth to me michelle that uh, the, the experts or the professional-looking uh, bidders at auctions often don't make their first bid until they know that the property is on the market. Is that an important, mm -hmm. is that an important thing to, to know before you start making uh, bids? Look, I don't think it is, in my personal opinion. I, I don't think it is at all. You're there to buy the property. Right. And and in order to be able to be in a position to buy it, if it gets passed in, for example, you have got to be in the driver's seat. Now, it's not the law, but it is common courtesy to negotiate with whoever is the highest bidder first. However, everyone else who has bid does have that right of refusal still to 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 bring it up to a level where the vendor will accept it. Um, it. I, I really don't think that sh that should matter as much as it does to buyers. You know, I think if you've done your research and you know what it's worth, um, you should be confident to bid and start the bidding. I quite often start the bidding because I know if it's been um, guided quite low, I can blow 80% of the buyers out of the water mm. by making a really confident bid first off. Okay. Michelle May, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me.